Good morning, Zion. Had a little little bit of a hectic day, as you know. We, uh, or maybe you don't know, we just finished the the floor downstairs. It looks really good, uh, except that we had to put everything in place. We had to get all the chairs and everything there. Thank you for all those who gave us a hand with that. Uh, I don't know if they need any other help. Uh, they'll probably let us know at the end of the day or at the end of our hour here. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, it looks really good. It's this nice epoxy floor. Yes, it still smells a little bit, but it's, it's, it's a lot better than it was Wednesday night when we were here. Um, so uh, again, thank you for all that, that help and assisted with getting things up off the ground. And it just, it just looks good. <laughs> and so we are grateful for that. Hey, I have a question for you. It's one of those questions that we know the right answer to when we first hear it. But the question is, do we really believe our answer? Uh, for example, or here's the question, how would your outlook, outlook change if you believe that God was really with you in every situation? How would your outlook on life change if you believe God was really with you in every situation? Well, we know how it would be. Well, I would stand in boldness and faith and trust, and, and we know that's what it is. But really, in every situation, I mean, maybe there's something there's something that would uh, drive you away or, or be a great pressure on your faith. Maybe it's, maybe it's other times, other times as you have gone through life. Maybe it was a divorce or another break in another relationship or a, a bad grade or I- issues at school. Um, or maybe you were passed over a promotion or something you felt you deserved. Uh, but it went to somebody else. Maybe it's a disability you've, got, you've come along later in life or you were actually born with, uh, or it could even be a financial need. And we could list lots of different things. But again, how would your outlook change if you said, God has a plan. I may not understand it. I may not know it. Uh, even though things feel out of control, I'm going to say, I will believe you. I will follow you. And again, we know the right answer. We know the answer we would like to have. It's kind of like a situation where, uh, of being in a, in a battle, in a military battle, on a ship or in a foxhole or something. I know how I think I would like to act. I'd like to be brave. I'd like to do my job, do my duty as a soldier or as a sailor. But I've never actually been in that situation. Uh, how do we respond in, you know, a, in a high-stress kind of situ, uh, issue? You might say, well, I, I think I know how I want to believe, but really about everything. But just assume for a minute, what would that look like? Well, the Bible gives us lots of examples. We're going to finish our series today on Genesis, on beginnings. And we're going to finish up with Joseph. I'm going to be summarizing a lot of his life. Uh, but for him things. He's an example of bad things happening to good people. The Bible has very little negative to say about Joseph, if any at all. There's some things that we kind of, we make some guesses about. You know, for example, it, it wasn't his fault that his dad chose him to be the favorite and dad gave him a coat, but he did wear the coat. Uh, and so you got to wonder, you know, and he was, he was the youngest, he was the little brother. How did he, how did he behave? How did he uh, deal with those relationships with them? 
what does it look like for him? What did it look like for him himself? So again, he, God played the favorite with him, which meant all his other brothers, his, his ten other brothers hated his guts. Uh, um, and he, again, may have done some things that helped that. They threatened to kill him, but instead sell his, their very brother into slavery. So that's not a good thing. Where was God in that? Uh, and then he's, in, he's sold as a slave. He serves as a slave in Potiphar's house. And we saw last week, he's falsely accused of rape and then gets thrown in prison. So, and he didn't do really anything wrong there. Where was God? Did he have that attitude at that time to say, you know what? God has a plan. Things look like they're out of control. But why is this here? Well, there's a couple little hints, and we're going to see actually from his very words how he was able to deal with that for things that he knew he was convinced of. For example, and this is repeated throughout Joseph's life, in Genesis 39 too, just a quick phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. So even though his circumstances were getting worse and worse, it's the first time we read this in his life. This was in Potiphar's house where, again, he's still living as a slave, but he's got a pretty good situation as a slave. Was God with Joseph when he was sold as a slave? Yes. Yes, he was. Uh, was God with him when he was falsely accused? Yes, he was. Uh, jump down a few verses into verse 21, almost the exact phrase, but the Lord was with Joseph. Second time it mentions this. This is when he's getting tossed into prison. But here's what happened in following verses 22. And the keeper of the prison, I guess we would say the warden, the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. When whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. There it is, third time. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. That should sound familiar. If you were with us last week, Potiphar, when he takes this young 17, 18-year-old slave into his home, there's just something about him. He sees kind of the Lord's hand in his life, and he puts Joseph in charge of his entire household. So if you're Potiphar, the head of this home, uh, actually the head of the king's guard, you just had to worry about your job, really, and what you ate. Everything else, Joseph took care of in the entire household paid the bills, make sure uh, everyone, all the other servants were doing their jobs. Uh, he didn't worry about a thing. So uh, when he gets to prison, well, the same thing happens. He now gets put in charge of prison. But how would it be? How would your outlook change if even in prison you knew God was there? Paul was thrown in prison. And he thought, well, how am I going to? God calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, you know what God did? God had the message go out even further because Paul was in prison. So he would spend, though, Joseph would spend years in prison. Was God still with him? Years of prison? Yes, he was. All right, so let me summarize what, what happens at this point. Uh, because we just, I'm sorry, we just don't have time to go through every single uh, verse. So there's a couple servants that belong to Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. Egypt at the time was uh, living a long period of being the nation, the apex nation 
of the world. Well, Pharaoh had a couple other servants. One was called a cupbearer, and the other's a baker. Now, a baker we get, all right? So he's the one who makes sure that is, there's a constant supply of bread. Bread, if, if you've ever had fresh-baked bread, it spoils rather quickly. And so you've got to pretty much make it every single day. I know now we have preservatives and so forth. But uh, so we get what a baker is. So what's a cupbearer? I know it sounds like this guy standing there with his cup. Oh, you want it now? Here you go. I think he does a little bit more than that. Uh, what it could be, uh, because later on he's going to talk about a vineyard, I think a cupbearer could have a couple other jobs. For example, he could be the wine steward, and which is a, a, actually a very complicated job. You have to know a lot about how uh, to not just ferment grape juice, but to ferment it well. Uh, and so he could have been that kind of position where he was in charge of that kind of the wine steward or, uh, and or he could have been the food taster. And so as the cupbearer, when someone fills Pharaoh's cup with wine or water or whatever it is, Egyptians drank a lot of beer as well. He would taste it first to make sure it wasn't poison. And so then he would pass it on. So that was a very risky position. But regardless, it's not just standing there with a cup waiting to hand it off. So now both of these men have dreams. And I know we tend to not think of our dreams this way, but God would, from time to time, communicate through dreams. And people would want to know, well, what did they mean? The cupbearer has, a, has um, or actually, I, should, I skipped a spot here. Both the cupbearer and the baker ticked off Pharaoh and threw them in prison. So not just getting fired, but they get thrown in prison, the very same prison Joseph is in. So, hmm, while they're in prison, they both have dreams. The cupbearer dreams that he's squeezing some grapes into the cup and he's handing it to Pharaoh. The baker has this dream. He makes some bread for Pharaoh. He's carrying it on his head. I know that's a little, again, odd for us, but in many cultures, they carry stuff on their heads. And so he's carrying this bread on his head in a basket and all the birds come and they eat it out of, out of his head or out of the basket, I should say. So they, they're worried about this. What does this mean? What does it mean? And Joseph is there. He says, why are you guys so bothered? And they tell him about the dreams. And he says, well, God interprets dreams. God interprets them. They relay the dreams to Joseph. And he goes, here's what God says they mean. Cupbearer, you're going to get your job back. Pharaoh's going to rehire you, bring you out of prison. You'll get your job back. And the baker's thinking, well, boy, it was pretty good for him. What's mine mean? And the, he says to the baker, well, you're not so good. Um, you're not going to get your job back. In fact, you're going to lose your head. Mm. Well, sure enough, within a few days, the cupbearer is rehired. The pharaoh, and Pharaoh has the baker beheaded. Uh, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Pharaoh. All right. So um, enter Joseph. He, he tells them all these things and, and gives them the interpretation. Was God with him then? Yes, he was. Um, so the cupbearer, or Joseph tells the cupbearer, because he doesn't bother with the baker, but he says, look, when you get out, could you do me a favor and talk to Pharaoh so I can get out of here? I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with prisons, uh, but I've, I've been involved with seven prison ministries. Uh, um, I don't want to sound mean, but no one's guilty. Actually, I take that back. There are times I've met some prisoners who say, yeah, I did this. But there are a lot of innocent people there. 
Uh, and so he's probably thinking, yeah, right, I've heard that story before. Well, he forgets Joseph for a week, for a month, two years. Was God with Joseph two more years in prison? Yes. Yes, he was. Well, as it would have it, Pharaoh has a dream. Hmm. What's that dream about? Well, he has a dream, kind of a two different parts. He has a dream of seven just sleek, well-fed, beautiful cows. And they're just, I mean, just the best. I mean, they're waiting to be steaks and hamburger. I mean, they just look fantastic. And then he also has uh, a, the dream of seven sheaves. I know we, we put our grain in bales and so forth, but a sheaf is just like stocks. They still do this in parts of Europe. Stocks of wheat wrap it up and they could, they could stand upright. And he says seven sheaves of grain that look just beautiful, rich, thick, heavy with, heavy with flour and mill in them. And then the second part of his dream is he sees seven just ugly emaciated, gaunt cows. And seven emaciated, burned, unhealthy stalks of wheat. Well, the emaciated cows and stalks devour the healthy cows and the healthy wheat. And it just kind of sucked them up. And he wakes up, he's trying to, you know, talking to his his magicians and other people that would interpret dreams. They have no idea what it has to, what has to deal with. Well, the cupbearer hears about this and he goes, you know what? I remember a guy. I know a guy. Back in prison, his name was Joseph. Told him all about the dreams and the interpretation that he had and that that came true. So they said, well, go get him. Let's go get him. They run to the prison. They get Joseph. Remember, he's living in prison. He's not staying at the Hilton. So they, you know, they clean him up, give him a shave, dress him up well, and bring him into Pharaoh. He says, I heard you got this talent with dreams. And Joseph, again, points to the Lord. He says, the Lord gives interpretations. Relays the dreams to him. And Joseph said, okay, here's what God says. Those seven wonderful cows and stalks of wheat, they stand for seven great, prosperous years of, of plenty of food and water and everything for everybody. But following those years, you're going to have seven years of famine like you've never seen before. In fact, it's going to be so bad that the, the um, the famine will be so bad, people won't even remember the previous seven good years. Well, here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. You need to find a guy who will save up the grain and everything from the seven wonderful years. Take about a 20% tax. And it was so prosperous, it, it didn't hurt anyone to give 20% of their grain. And you just got to find someone to manage that. Well, Pharaoh says you're my guy. You're my guy. You're the one who's going to do that. In fact, Joseph, I will make you the number two person in all of Egypt. See, the, the Egyptians were not used to famines. It, I don't know if this works so much today, but back then, the, the Nile River, if you look at a map, the, the Nile, it's a major river, and there'd be these little tributaries that would flow out of it, and it would flood every year. 
And so as it flooded the, the plain and the, and the farmland, it put fresh fertilizer down, and then it would come back and it would just reinvigorate this land, refertilize it in a natural way. So they weren't used to famines. But God gave them this uh, insight that they would, in fact, have it. Second only to Pharaoh. Now, that should sound again familiar. Remember when Joseph is in Potiphar's house? He's the number two guy. When he gets thrown in prison, he's the number two guy. Now he's in Egypt, he's the number two guy. And he's going to be used to save millions, perhaps, millions of lives because of this plan. And one of the why questions Joseph might have been asking, God, why? why? Now, when he was sold into slavery, he was 17, 18 years old, just out of high school. And no offense to our high school students, but uh, high school students generally not ready to take over a nation when they're 18. I mean, I'm not. I don't have that kind of experience. Well, Joseph needed some training. So starts with a household, then bigger to a prison. Now he's learned to be an administrator, learn to manage things, learn to manage resources and people, human resources. And so he... he um, has been having this training ground. So that's one of the reasons why he went through all that. Well, as time goes on, Joseph is settled. He, has a, he gets married, has a couple kids. Well, remember, there's a famine. Remember his brothers back in Israel? Well, they're suffering from the famine. So their dad says, go to Egypt, get some food. I heard there's food there. They go, and sure enough, these are the very guys that sold them originally, tried to kill them even before that. And they don't recognize him. Now, you think, well, why can't they recognize their own brother? It's been about 12 years, 12, 13 years, maybe even a little longer. You know, we change a lot from about 17, 18. I mean, who still looks like their high school graduation picture at even 30? Okay. So that he's changed. He's also dressed and made up as an Egyptian. And for whatever reason, Joseph chooses to speak through an interpreter so they don't hear him speak their language. So all these things kind of led to that, um, uh, uh, them not recognizing him. But Joseph recognized his brothers. And he, he actually is going to kind of, I guess, play a few games with them, calls them spies. And, and tries to get their story. You just came here to spy us out because you're going to attack us because we have all the grain and everything. Well, he says, I'm not going to believe you unless one of your brothers stays. And actually before that, he put them under house arrest. But he says, one of your brothers is going to stay. He takes the brother Simeon. He's going to stay with me. You go home, get your other new little brother. This is Benjamin. This is, remember, Jacob had four well, two wives, two concubines. He had children through all four of them. This, uh, uh, one of them was Rachel. Rachel was Joseph's mother. Well, Rachel had Benjamin. So this is his complete blood brother from the same dad, same mom. He's never seen him. So go back. Here's your grain. Go get your, go get your little brother and bring him back. I'll know you're not lying. Well, he ends up giving them their money back. And you know, when you're, when you're not walking with God, even blessings seem like a threat because they open their bags and they find their money and they go, oh no! It's like, I don't know if I had 
my bill refunded, I'd be kind of glad about that. But anyway, they, they go back, they tell the story, and it, Jacob's going, oh my goodness, I lost Joseph, now I lost Simeon. What are we going to do? And it's the only way is to go back with Benjamin. Jacob says, no, 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 we're not doing that. Well, what happens over time? They run out of grain. Go back to Egypt, boys. Dad, we told you, we can't go back without Benjamin. And by the way, it's a little side story in the book of Genesis. Um, Judah, his son Judah stands up and he says, I, you can take my boys. I will be responsible. I will take authority for it. Jude is the same guy who wanted to kill Joseph outright. What happened to him? Well, there's a little side story within Genesis where he loses two sons. And I'm wondering if God taught him what it's like to lose kids. And so he knows what his dad is feeling at that point. Finally, Jacob agrees. They go back with Benjamin. And there's another little test in there uh, that Joseph does. And you could read it. It's throughout, again, Genesis uh, 45 all the way to the end of the book. But again, Judas steps in. These brothers are scared because it looks like this, this leader of Egypt's going to take Benjamin, going to put him in prison, going to make him a slave. Um, these guys are scared, and they plead for mercy. Finally, 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 Joseph says, okay, here's the big reveal, and says, I'm your brother Joseph. All right, let, me, let, me read, um, let me read verses uh, 5 through 8 in chapter 45. He says, um, do not be angry. And by the way, if you, if you sold your brother into slavery, and now he's like the number one guy, He's in position to be very vengeful. He could do whatever he wants to them. Well, here's what he says. And do not be, now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen to this. Remember, we, we learned earlier that God was training him to be an administrator. But now he says, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, I don't know why God said there needs to be a famine in the land, but he did. He says, well, okay, I've got to have a famine, but I also got to protect Abraham's offspring so that promise to be a great nation, that promise to solve our sin problem, all those things could be maintained. Okay, we'll use Joseph, we'll get him to Egypt, and he'll be the one who will take care of everything so they could still eat and prosper. Well, as it turns out, they go back to see their dad, Joseph's alive, Joseph's alive, which they probably already knew, but, you know, they're keeping up with their lie. And bring him back, and Jacob's all excited, and he goes and he sees, he sees his son. Now he sees his son Joseph again, sees Joseph's sons, his grandson. He actually gives Joseph a double blessing, because these guys, Judah, Reuben, Benjamin, Levi, um, they're all going to get 
land as part of Israel. You could read about it throughout uh, the book of Joshua, where they divide the land up. And so now by that time, though, about 500 years have passed, it's no longer the person of Reuben, it's the tribe of Reuben. Get it? So all the descendants of Reuben become the tribe of Reuben. But, but what Jacob does for Joseph before that, he says, I'm going to adopt your two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they're going to be like my own sons. So Joseph gets really two tribes because there's a tribe of Ephraim, there's a tribe of Manasseh. And so he gets, like Jacob said, a double portion. There's really not a tribe of Judah, a call, there's not a tribe called tribe of, sorry, Joseph. There's, a tr- there's those two tribes of his sons. All right, well, finally Jacob dies, and if you're, again, his, Joseph's brothers, you think, okay, he may not have done anything while dad was alive, but what about now? And what do they do? Well, they lie again <laughs> and say, hey, Joseph, our dad said not to hold it against us. What does Joseph say? Joseph has God's perspective. Chapter 50, last chapter of the book, verses 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For I am, for am I in the place of God? You know, in Romans, it says, I think it's chapter 12. It says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God is in charge of vengeance and judgment. He could read hearts. He does that. And Joseph's saying, not my job. Not my job to bring about vengeance upon you. As for you, verse 20, you meant evil against me. What you did was wrong and bad. But God meant it for good to bring about that so many people should be kept alive as they are today. Not just for Israel, not just for this fledgling nation, but again, for millions of people. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God's perspective. When we're going through trials, when things are going wrong for us, God's not surprised, nor is he mean. You know, if you look at some of the false gods, pagan gods, they're kind of vindictive. If you don't placate them, if you don't give them presents all the time, they get mad and kind of bratty. God's not like that. God's not like that at all. He can't be placated. He doesn't need to be. Joseph believed that God was with him. It impacted him on how he treated his brothers. Yes, what you guys did was wrong. It was awful. It was evil. It hurt me. But God had something bigger in mind. So I'm not going to hold it against you. When we believe God is with us, we can embrace any purpose. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next year, 10 years from now. We might go through the most difficult trial we ever have done. But God's purposes is in every experience. God was with Joseph in the cistern in the pit. He was in the prison and in the palace. As many believers have this misconception about the Lord. They think he's like a good luck charm. Well, if I, if I go to church and read my Bible and pray and do these religious things, God will bless me. I'll have good luck. God's not like that. You can't manipulate him or treat him that way. Because you know what? When it comes down to it, 
He owes us nothing except for his promises that he's already made. But we, we are given that we are, he doesn't even owe us the promises. He's just made them. So it's not like he says, well, this person's been really good, so I'll bless them, I'll give them a new car. <laughs> he, he doesn't do that. He owes us nothing. If you're a believer or follower of Jesus Christ, you've already been given a new life and salvation forever and ever. There's nothing else he owes you. He's given you his son. What else do you want? He'll fulfill his promises, but we merit nothing. Again, this doesn't excuse the sin of the brothers at all. We don't have to understand everything that happens in life. Yes, I've been there, you've been there, where we say, why God, why? And sometimes he answers, and sometimes he doesn't. If our hope is in some kind of prosperity or karma God, we're going to be frustrated. Just if I've been obedient, okay, then God should bless me. It's not about our will being done. It's about God's will being done. I wonder what Joseph would have said if God said, all right, Joseph, come here. He's a young man, 17, said, okay, um, your brother's going to try and kill you. They'll sell you in slavery instead. Uh, you'll be stuck in a hole. Then they'll sell you. Then you'll be falsely accused of rape. Then you'll be in prison. Oh, 13, 14 years. You okay with that? God didn't tell him. He just knew his life was in the hands of the Lord. And what was important to him is not his life, but what the Lord wanted. Do you see the difference? Yeah, that's difficult. How do we do that? How do we get that same attitude? It's all about his will being done. One of them is this idea of abiding in Christ, keeping that constant relationship going with him. How do you do that? Well, how do you keep a relationship going with another person? Well, you spend time with them, you interact with them, you learn about them. You, same with the Lord. We remain in community uh, for, for others around so we see what maybe we don't see. We learn more and more about God himself and find out how gracious he is. It's one of the reasons uh, after Easter I'm so excited about our Names of God series because we're going to learn just what he's like, what he's like and how trustworthy he is, and how we can pray. We can pray according to his word. We take our will. I take my will and say, God, whatever I have, whatever heartbeats and breaths and time I have, here it is. Here it is. Maybe hard, maybe easy, somewhere in between. It's yours. That's what Joseph had going for him. God sees and knows better, and sometimes we encounter the Lord, and, you know, Jacob ended up with a, with a limp, uh, but his dependency was on the Lord. Paul, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, was praying about something he called a thorn in the flesh, and he asked God, God, get rid of this, get rid of this, and there's some speculation that had to do with his eyesight, but he doesn't t- say exactly what that is. It's a figure of speech. It's not a literal you know, like rose thorn or something. It was a problem that he had. Problem, something with his body. God, could you remove this? And God said, nope. His power is perfected in weakness, Paul. You're a pretty talented guy. 
You're pretty smart. You need something to kind of keep you in your place to be weak. So I could use you. And God said, that's, or Paul said, that's what I want. I want to be used by you. Okay, okay, I'll keep the thorn. If I could be used for you, if I could do your will, that's great. Remember, God is not obligated to fulfill our wishes. We join God's plan, not asking him to join ours. We don't, ours as individuals or as churches or even as a nation. Well, just to finish off Joseph's story now, uh, there are 70 people who immigrate from, at that time, the land of Canaan to Egypt, and they settle in the land of Goshen. Now we're talking, because you know, God promised Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, a nation. Now it's going to explode. What's the term? Exponentially. They're just going to grow. They're going to have lots and lots of kids, huge families. And pretty soon, before they know it, it's going to become a great nation. And they will be put into slavery for 400 years by Egypt. But before that happens, Joseph, we read about the death of Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis. He um, is embalmed according to Egyptian traditions. And he says, look, guys, make sure that your kids and their grandkids and their grandkids and their grandkids and their grandkids, just generations from now, when God takes you out of Egypt and brings you back to the land, God promise, take my body with you and bury me there. That was a statement of faith for him. They were, in fact, going to return. And in fact, God's plan for redemption will continue. Even though they're in slavery for 400 years, God is still going to use this nation to bring a Savior and, and free them. In fact, that whole bondage story is a metaphor of our freedom from sin, the slavery of sin. Well, let's spend some time praying. First of all, regardless of whether we um, know it or feel it, God is with us. God is with you. He is with me. Uh, let's thank him for that. And if you thought of God as your good luck charm, this is a good morning to confess that. God, I've, I've been using you and thinking of you like that. Just You could pray that out loud or at least in your heart today. And then I'll say, I will bow to God's will, will especially when... I don't know if he's going to throw anyone in a cistern or throw anyone in prison or get falsely accused, but maybe there's something else on our heart. So go ahead, let's spend some time praying. If you want to pray out loud, I welcome you to do that, um, and then I'll close us. We are often guilty of treating you like a, a Santa or a laundry man or um, a good luck charm where we just expect you to bless us because we've been so good. And Lord, we confess that and uh, bow to your will, whether it is filled with blessing, whether it is filled with trials, whether we become like Job. God, I'm reminded as, as we were finishing here, I'm reminded of two missionaries, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott, who prayed and prayed and prayed to reach this tribe for the gospel. And they met them and the natives killed them. And the world looks at that and thinks, what a waste. But Lord, that opened up a door for actually these men's wives to go through and, and just about Christianize that whole entire tribe. And you had a purpose. And you kept their, your promises to, to both of them. There was no promise that they would keep their lives forever. 
but they have they promised to have eternal life with you forever. And so, Lord, we want that same heart, that same idea, the same willingness to give our time, our resources, our talents to you, Lord, for your sake, that we join your plan, we join your will, and not just having you endorse or rubber stamp what we want. So, God, we give those to you, regardless of whatever trials have. Nevertheless, Lord, we will follow you. And, Lord, as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's table, um, we um, remember your gift for us, your sacrifice for us. As we remember the broken body of Jesus Christ uh, and the sacrifice of his blood that we might simply believe and have eternal life. And he went through trials we can never experience to take our wrath. No one's ever done that. And yet he did it for us. So, Lord, examine our hearts. Reveal to us your, um, uh, anything that we're trying to keep from you, any idols that are in our hearts, that you would reveal them to us now, that we might remember your body and blood with a clear conscience. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So we'll take a few minutes now, and um, the bread and the juice will be up here. Uh, if um, you want, the, the juices in the middle uh, have the, they're kind of the enclosed ones. If you're, if you, if you're a little more comfortable with that, that's fine. Um, when you're ready, come on up. If you're a believer in Christ, whether you attend here at Zion or not, you're welcome to come and participate. If you're not a believer, you're just here today, you know, we ask you, don't participate uh, in that. Uh, but for all of us, we need to have our hearts ready. So we'll play a little music and just come on up when you're ready. Participate as a family or as individuals. It's, next, it's this coming Saturday, and I, if you haven't signed up, I strongly encourage you to do it. It's, you're going to learn the whole Old Testament. Uh, with, yeah, there are some motions. It's lots of fun. It's great with kids. Go on zionlife.com. It'll say OT Live. Uh, I think we either have some cards or we can make a picture of the posters for you or something. Uh, it is $20 a person up to two people, so that'd be 40 or for a family, it'll just be 40 tops. Um, so uh, you get a book, a workbook that comes with it, and it's 9 a.m. till about noon. And so uh, it, it, I, I, I just encourage you to go. You will find as you're reading through the Old Testament, or even when you're reading through the New Testament and it refers to something, you're going to go, oh, I know where that, that happens, and, and be able to understand a lot more. So... Uh, I, just, I, I don't know what the deadline is. I'm guessing maybe even Friday, but um, I, we, we tend to be late signing up for things. So, so go ahead and do that, and uh, you will enjoy that, I promise. Uh, other things coming up, uh, along with Holy Week and activities, uh, there's a half-sheet flyer. It's on white paper. Uh, one of the traditions in our valley is the, is the community crosswalk. We're going to start at Shakur Alliance Church, walk over to Christ Family Church. We have a few stops where there's some readings and some uh, hymns and so forth. Uh, and then they stay for a service. That's on Good Friday. School's out. Uh, you can grab one of these. There's plenty of those. Saturday is the prayer breakfast. I purchased uh, some tickets from Cindy's, so we actually have them in the back. Uh, and they are $8. That's a, a Cindy's buffet breakfast for 8 bucks. So, like, if you want extra pancakes and everything, you can do that. It's at the school uh, cafeteria for eight, uh, 
uh, 8.30 a.m. And we're going to learn about prayer. And, you know, just real quick, the, um, I hear a lot of people asking and praying God about revival. We need to seek his face. Now, God could bring revival whenever he wants to whomever he wants at any time. But historically, they've happened when God's people, not the world, but God's people humble themselves and pray. And we seek his face. And so we're going to learn how to pray a little more biblically according to the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so encourage you to do that. Well, actually, we'll pray at that time as well. If you buy them here um, and you're writing a check, write it out to me because, I, again, I already paid for them. Uh, or you can go to Cindy's and buy them there so, so she has them. But if we run out of the ones we have here, then we'll get more, okay? So uh, that's on the, that's the Saturday after Good Friday. There's also, if you're really gutsy, um, Easter sunrise service, 6.30 a.m. Easter morning at the youth center. So grab one of these. And then there's also, we have the Lenten gathering here. Um, the next one on Wednesday, the 22nd, is that um, uh, I have Shakur United Methodist uh, no, I'm sorry, Faith Community in Bruin. There we go, 315. And that is, that if you go into Bruin, okay, just go into Bruin, actually that way, and you know where the gas station is? The church is on the right, right after the gas station. It's there. You may want to park on the other side of the street. There's some lots there that you could park, but that's where that church is. It's dead. If you get to the bowling alley, turn around. You've gone too far. So just, um, it's before that little squiggle in the post office and everything. So it's right there at Bruin. Um, I think we've gotten everything set up downstairs. But if you do have a few moments after our gathering, go see if there's anything else they need set up. If you haven't seen the floor, go look at it. It looks fantastic. Uh, and so we are grateful for that. Let's continue in our worship. <laughs> 